Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 33. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it. To put one's mouth to the dust, there may yet be hope. To give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults. For the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning is Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 31. 33 and then 44 through 47. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. This is the word of the Lord. After college, I served for a year through a mission volunteer program called the Young Adult Volunteer Program. It's a Presbyterian program. And through this program, I volunteered at a homeless resource center called the Campus for Human Development in Nashville, more commonly known as Room in the Inn. Through this, I came to know Father Charlie Strobel, the priest who had started this center. To us, Father Charlie Strobel was simply Charlie. What struck me as so remarkable about Charlie was his humility. Although he had started this incredible ministry, he never saw himself as being above our homeless participants, and he considered each and every one of them friends. And the ministry of Room in the Inn and the Campus for Human Development also had humble beginnings. 32 years ago, at Holy Name Catholic Church in downtown Nashville, Charlie had been a fairly new priest there. And one day, he decided he would make 
each of the homeless people who hung outside of the parish a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I never had the chance to ask Charlie, why a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Maybe it was because those were the only food supplies they had on hand. Or maybe that was all that Charlie may know, knew how to make. Whatever the reason, these three simple elements, bread, jam, and peanut butter, created a movement of giving throughout the greater Nashville area. By 2008, when I was there, nearly 100 congregations hosted homeless guests and gave out food like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Our story from Matthew this morning shows five different parables that may sound just as puzzling as they did when we first heard them. Parables use everyday, ordinary objects. In our story, we see the yeast and mustard seed, fish and nets. These ordinary objects are used to get our attention and make us think. Jesus used parables to challenge hearers and to break their fixed assumption and their categories between holy and corrupt, right and wrong, good and bad. And that's why so many people find parables confusing. Personally, I find the parable of the leavened bread to be one of the most puzzling yet interesting parables. Verse 33 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The language kingdom of heaven that we see here is typical for the gospel of Matthew. But throughout the other gospels, we see a lot more of the kingdom of God. To most people who heard this parable, it would have been at the very least puzzling and probably even disturbing. First of all, in the biblical world, yeast was considered a symbol of corruption and death for the most part. And this was because the fermentation smelled so bad. Any of you bakers out there may also notice the enormous proportions of the flour. Although it doesn't say how much yeast this woman used, it does say she used three measures of flour. Three biblical measures of flour is worth about 144 cups. So this leavened bread probably would have been enough to feed 150 people. So this baker either didn't know how to bake very well, or maybe she was baking for a different kind of bakery, a kingdom of God kind of bakery. The third way this story would have been puzzling to those who heard it is that the Greek verb that Matthew used in the gospel is not placed or needed like we would expect for the yeast, but the verb for the putting of the yeast is hid. The yeast was hid in the flour. Yeast is a very strange symbol for the kingdom of God because yeast was lowly and sometimes even suspect. And so was the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed during his time. People expected a mighty and powerful king and messiah. So a king who rode in on a donkey and talked about the lowly, less than grandiose kingdom of God was shocking. Matthew often uses parables of Jesus to create a contrast between the present reality of the and the present reality and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. People wanted the fullness of the kingdom of God right then and there, and to bring them pri triumph and power as soon as possible. 
as theologian M. Eugene Boring has described this contrast in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, The anointed king in the coming kingdom of God is present with this community, but this is a hidden presence, not a public spectacle. The advent of the coming king will reveal it all. Our Presbyterian tradition also calls us to reflect on the nature of the kingdom of God as part of our church mission and ministry. Our Book of Order talks about the six great ends of the church, and the sixth one calls us to exhibit the kingdom of heaven to the world. The kingdom of heaven, or a kingdom of God as we often say, will not be fully present until the advent of the coming king. But like the yeast in the dough, the kingdom of God is already partially present and active in our world. So then what does it mean to say that the kingdom of God is like a yeast that's hidden in between layers and layers of flour, often completely invisible? Let's first reflect on the nature of yeast. Unlike our day, when all you'd have to do is go to the store to get some baker's yeast, in Jesus' day, yeast was a lot harder to come by. As a result, many bakers used other substances to leaven the bread that were easier to find. Any of you who are bakers out there may also know that yeast isn't always the easiest to bake with. Many of us can probably relate to the times when we thought we followed a recipe exactly, putting the yeast in to allow the bread to rise, only to wait and wait and wait and still nothing happened. There are a lot of factors that can affect whether the leavened bread turns out well. If you don't get the exact right temperature to activate the yeast, nothing will happen. Then, if you add too much sugar, it can kill the yeast. There are so many ways you can affect the yeast when you're baking. In this parable, the process of baking with yeast would have been even more difficult than it is today. Even if the baker used a normal amount of yeast, it would have been nothing compared to that amount of flour. So the baker would have had to wait even longer. The baking process would have been incredibly slow, the progress almost invisible. It certainly wouldn't have fit our modern ideas about efficiency. Kneading dough is a lot of work, as any baker can tell you. And with this much flour, it would have been even more difficult to evenly distribute the yeast. And sometimes, with sadness and grief, bakers have to scrap all the work that they've put into a bread and just start over. When we look at the statistics of decline in mainline Christian denominations, like the Presbyterian Church, it's so easy to feel ourselves feeling defeatist, like there's no way the kingdom of God is present and active in our midst. Sometimes people describe the future of the church as if it's a nose-diving plane headed for a crash landing, and all they can look forward to is the afterlife. So they strap on their seatbelts and reach for their oxygen masks and just wait. We can feel a lot of grief and sadness about how the church doesn't look like the church of days past, and it can feel easy to feel overcome by that loss. Maybe we feel some loss about how our numbers aren't the same, or our building is aging, or our congregation is aging, or a variety of other things. And then you always hear the common lament, and where are always all the young people? 
It's okay to let ourselves feel the loss of the church as we knew it. In the Book of Joy, our book this summer, the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu remind us of the nature of joy. They say, to linger in the longing, the loss, the yearning, is a way of feeling the rich and embroidered texture of life, the torn cloth of our world that is endlessly being ripped and rewoven. The process of things constantly being ripped and rewoven help us understand what it means to proclaim this hidden presence of Christ in our world today. Exhibiting the hidden kingdom of God means being open to the uncertainty and the waiting and the new day. The disciples waited for their crucified king to be resurrected, and they could only feel this deep joy of his resurrection after they had gone through the sadness and the grief when they thought he had died. The Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu also remind us that sadness and grief are not necessarily the opposite of joy. In fact, they're two sides of the same coin. Sadness and grief challenge us to find acceptance and grow, leading to a deeper joy than superficial happiness. Sadness and grief also remind us of our need for one another. Desmond Tutu says, it is the hard times, the painful times, the sadness and the grief that knit us more closely together. If we allow ourselves to acknowledge our sadness and our grief, it can give us a greater sense of purpose and determination to fulfill the intent of what we have lost. We also have to remember that God and the kingdom of God are greater than the visible church. Proclaiming the hidden presence of Christ in our world today means that Doing church isn't so much about the church building. Proclaiming the message of our humble king means doing ministry outside of these structures, going out into the world. And it may even mean doing ministry outside of our programs. Even in the midst of our grief about the decline of the mainline church, the kingdom of God is still active. It's just that we may not see it, especially when we become so focused on our own self-preservation. In his book, Credo, another book for our summer reading, the theologian William Sloan Coffin cautions us to not see the church as the object of our love, but rather to see it as the subject and instrument of God's love. He said, faith can't be passive. It has to go forth to assault the conscience, excite the imagination, and that it fans the flames of creativity. So Sloan Coffin tells us that doing church requires a deep sense of creativity and innovation in this day and age. Hearing the parable of the leavened bread in contemporary times is so valuable because it helps us to get outside of our preset categories and our ideas of what church should look like. In our society, we've seen a general shift away from religion and church. And in Ann Arbor, perhaps, Christians who are regularly involved in a worshiping community may even be in the minority rather than the majority. This also can teach us a lot about the hidden kingdom. The kingdom is like the living creature of yeast. There are so many conditions that can affect how the bread will rise, and those conditions are always changing. We may try to use a recipe for baking bread that we thought was tried and true, but somehow it no longer works. 
But the good thing about working with a living creature like yeast and bread is that we can always start again. We have to remember that we will not see an instant transformation all the time. Yeast takes a while for us to be able to see any visible results, and we have to be truly watching for it. The kingdom of God is exactly like that. Are we looking for opportunities to participate in this inbreaking of the kingdom of God each and every day? In order to do this, we may have to let go of our well-worn recipes and our assumptions about what works and what doesn't, what's right and what's wrong, what's holy and what's corrupt. We have to use the imagination and creativity that God gave us to think about ministry to put on new lenses to recognize the kingdom of God in the world and in our midst. I'll never forget one of Charlie's sayings. He said, never underestimate the power of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. A simple peanut butter and jelly sandwich was so transformative because it changed both the people who gave it and the people who received. We're called to feed the hungry as we proclaim the hidden presence of the kingdom of God. Feeding people's hunger may mean giving them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and unconditional hospitality. It may also mean feeding the young people in our communities, feeding them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Being attuned to the hidden kingdom of God helps us see the less apparent places of hunger and pain in our midst. Maybe there's an even greater need right now to attend to people's emotional and spiritual starvation. Those who suffer from this kind of starvation often get to the point where they feel completely numb and they see no value in life any longer. This is especially true for people for whom society tells them they are the cause of our problems. I remember seeing this with my homeless friends in Nashville. Today I see this with young people and immigrants and others who people scapegoat as being the root of the world's problems. And just as we do, these people need food to nourish their souls. They need to be reminded that their life matters, and they are also beloved children of God. So let us make bread, the bread of heaven and the kingdom of God. Even if all we have are some simple ingredients, even if it's not gourmet, even if we're clumsy and we don't really know what we're doing. That's okay. God will show us the way. This work is holy not because of who we are or what we can do, but because it reveals the hidden kingdom of God in our midst. Amen. Let us continue on in the spirit of prayer. Let us pray. God, who speaks to us in all the moments of our lives, we are grateful to you for the joys of life, beautiful spirit and unique personalities in our loved ones, deep and meaningful relationships, the wonders of creation and growth, strength and wisdom through every trial of life, your peace amidst any uncertainty for the unfolding days even now, for the growth of long green grass, for dog walks and block parties and preschool graduations and baseball and frogs. 
for time in the garden, for lying in the hammock, for grandchildren learning to swim. Help us rediscover and cherish an unhurried experience of time with our kin. In the world around us, let us recognize your face in the kindness of those we meet every day. We pray for enough strength to meet the challenges that we face. And we pray for the humility to let others care for us in the midst of those same challenges. Great healer, tend to the ill, comfort the grieving, warm those cold in heart. Our hearts are disturbed, and they break with those being rounded up or separated from their families. Let love and compassion turn us back from separating children from their parents at the border and save us from using any religious creed or doctrine to justify that which is unjustifiable. Bring families together even as they wait a situation needing time and wisdom to solve. Let those who know and love you speak eloquently and powerfully into this moment in our history and let them be heard. We remember our youth and their leaders as they journey to Baltimore and lend a hand in a hard place. Give them health and safe passage and openness to find you in all their challenges and interactions. Oh, that you would lead our young people to a deeper, more complex faith, a faith that will hold steady amidst change in the world and transformation of their lives into adult relationships. On this day, we are especially grateful for the gifts of fathers and the important men in our lives, those who have seen not just with their eyes but with their heart. We pray this day for all kinds of dads, those who gather with families in conflict and those who gather with families at peace, dads who rejoice in their kids and watch the next generation taking hold in the world, and those who worry about that. We pray for older dads and single dads and those raising their grandkids. We pray for those soon to become fathers. In this harsh world, we remember fathers who helplessly watch their children suffer and die from malnutrition or live in the aftermath of natural disasters. For fathers whose kids are sick or disabled or addicted to drugs who they would do anything to help. We pray for fathers and their children around the world caught in the terrors of violence in Syria, Palestine, Afghanistan, and so many other corners of this globe. We remember men who, because of various circumstances, are unable to become fathers, and for those whose fathers live now only in their memories. We pray for dads unwilling or unable to support their kids and ask that you would come to them and bring healing. We give thanks today for the work and the ministry of the Ludwigs and for the work of our denomination, the Presbyterian General Assembly that gathers even now in St. Louis. Bring glimpses of unity and key moments guided by your Spirit's wisdom and a holy love expressed all week in the worship and in the decision-making of those members and ministers gathered together. We pray always that your people could be one able to have a unity that does not deny differences nor tolerate injustice. We pray especially for Dr. Fair. May her ministry there at the General Assembly be blessed as she leads us and those gathered in her very particular roles. O God who forgives and teaches us how to forgive others, lay your gentle hand upon the world, upon us.
as we open our hearts to you in this time, remind us that you are the beginning and the end of us, and in you is our very being. All this and so much more we offer to you in the love of our Savior using the words he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.